The Soundtrack Show with David W. Collins is about to begin. Music is a language, and while it's often used to convey hope, love, excitement, courage, sometimes it's also used for doom and gloom. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins. And on this episode, we're going to have some fun listening to a wide variety of musical clips that all have one thing in common. They all feature the same melody, more or less. And they are all trying to convey a sense of dread, a sense of uh, doom and gloom, or even death itself. As I mentioned in the opening, these can be used in a serious way or in a campy way, or sometimes just as a poetic reference to music's history, honoring a language that's been in development for almost a thousand years, that melody that these all have in common goes like this. Or in many cases, just the first four notes. Keep that in your ear during this episode. Okay? That is just four notes that have been quoted many, many times in film scores. Why? What does it mean? Well, I'll tell you. It's called Dies Irae, which is Latin for Day of Wrath, Judgment Day, the end of the world, death. Its text comes from part of a requiem mass in Latin. Requiem means literally a prayer for the dead, and it was written by, or at least attributed to, a Franciscan monk named Thomas of Celano all the way back in the Middle Ages in the 13th century. I'm going to actually play you the plain chant so you can kind of hear it in context with the text. Here's a, a recording of it. Okay, so now you have a little bit of that. The text itself goes something like this. You heard the dies irae, dies ila, solvet seclum in favila, teste david cum sibila. The, the English is this. Day of wrath and doom impending, David's word with sibyls blending, heaven and earth in ashes ending. Oh, what fear man's bosom rendeth, when from heaven the judge descendeth, on whose sentence all dependeth. Now, obviously, this is a uh, a rhyming English version that's been kind of wordsmithed from the original literal translation, but you get the idea, right? Real doom and gloom type of stuff. You've heard the Latin and you've heard the English. Well, why is this important? Why do we care? And why am I covering it on the soundtrack show? Because you've been hearing it again and again in huge franchise movies like Star Wars, 
Lord of the Rings, uh, Disney movies, and way more. Composers like Howard Shore and John Williams, Wendy Carlos, Jerry Goldsmith, even Danny Elfman have been speaking it to us all along, perhaps without us even realizing it, ever realizing it. Now, before we play some clips from these composers and from a lot of your favorite movies, I want to start with um, a little perspective on where we are today musically and a little bit about where we've been. Now, this will just be a fast, quick overview, but this will really kind of help us with the context of why we're still hearing DSRA, especially when you get to these music clips. Okay, so here we are today in the 21st century. We are about 100 years or so into film scores. Yes, film scores existed in the silent film era as well, for those of you that are doing the math, but they were played live rather than synchronized to picture. But that's a, that's a story for another time or another episode. So about 100 years, give or take a few, of film scores. That was starting about 100 years ago. 200 years ago, we were collectively approaching what is now called the Romantic Era of music history from about 1825-ish to 1900, right? You're probably asking, well, why was it called the Romantic Era, the 19th century or, or the 1800s? Why? Well, because the music of that era was all about experiencing emotions to 11, to the max, just overflowing, needle in the red. Uh, you get the picture. In fact, I'll help uh, paint an aural picture here with a, with a cue from Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet overture here. You've probably heard this before in your life, but this is a great example of just emotional music, just totally over the top. Listen to this build. Here it comes. Oh, the ecstasy. Oh, the passion. There it is. Right? If it was about love, it was about overflowing with emotion. If it was about sorrow, it was about wailing, chest-pounding sorrow. And if it was about death, it got pretty dark and gothic. Which uh, leads me to another characteristic of the 19th century romantic era, which is this. 19th century audiences were fascinated by the supernatural and by the macabre. So operas, program music, and songs that were about the supernatural were all the rage with 19th century audiences. And as a result, uh, a lot of these callbacks to something like a Requiem Mass, like the DSRA, were born. And, and composers started like tossing them back and forth to each other, almost as like an Easter egg or an inside joke, but really because 19th century audiences would be associating this with death. This melody would immediately harken back to a Requiem Mass that they most likely had attended. Um, I'm going to play a piece for you by Hector Berlioz uh, called Symphony Fantastique. Um, and in this piece, you hear uh, uh, the main character, because this is program music, the main character falls asleep, according to the program, and he dreams of a witch's Sabbath. And sure enough, you hear this melody. Dies Ooh, creepy. Right? You hear it here in Symphony Fantastique. You hear it uh, in Gustav Mahler's Second Symphony. You hear it in the piano works of Brahms. I mean, listen to this. It, it sounds perfect for movies, doesn't it? 
So we can already get a sense right away that 19th century music lends itself really well to uh, to uh, at least the music of early Hollywood. Well, hold on a second. Why wasn't early Hollywood and early films looking at 20th century music if movies were also born in the 20th century? What's up with that? Well, that's interesting. In concert halls around the globe in the 20th century, you know, symphony halls in every major city, music in the 20th century, and I mentioned this in a previous episode, it became kind of atonal or polytonal, challenging to listen to. So why the 19th century in movies instead of the 20th century? Well, according to an author named Alex Ross, he uh, wrote a book called The Rest is Noise, which is about 20th century music. The romantic language of the 19th century seemed uh, almost crass if you were a composer in the 20th century. If you were at the cutting edge of modern art in the 20th century and your work was supposed to be a reflection of modern society, the sort of chest-pounding love theme would seem crass after such horrible atrocities of two world wars. This is what, you know, this is what Alex Ross says here. Um, But movies, which were happening at the same time, movies are escapism. Movies were mass media for a huge audience, right? So movies couldn't be that. Movies needed to, uh, movie music anyway, needed to be accessible, needed to be digestible to any audience. It needed to enhance and be in service of story and, and not be an experiment in and of itself. Not that there aren't wildly experimental film scores out there, by the way. And also, I I need to tell you, there is brilliant stuff in the 20th century, especially early 20th, that inspired film scores. So don't get me wrong, but this is a broad overview that I'm giving, so bear with the sweeping generalization here. We'll just say this. Film scores in the era of classic Hollywood, an era that we'll define as being from around 1927, which is when the first uh, talkie came out, really broad, you know, to a broad audience, the jazz singer, to about... Uh, The early 1950s, give or take a few years, when television started to take over, that era was heavily influenced by the concert music of the 19th century. Composers like Wagner, Verdi, Strauss, both of them, Mendelssohn, Brahms, Berlioz, Sanson, Tchaikovsky, uh, who we heard. If you don't know their music, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. But just know that the 19th century is really the music that defined the sound of movies. And to this day... To this day, film scores, especially by folks like John Williams or Michael Giacchino, are, and more actually, are are heavily influenced by the work of 19th century music and 19th century composers. In fact, more than any composer, uh, John Williams is credited with renewing and reviving that classic Hollywood style. Uh, There's an author named Emilio Audacino, and he calls this a, a the neoclassical style of film composing. And that really came back in vogue again, just came rushing back in the late 70s with movies like Jaws and Star Wars and Raiders. And well, you know all of this, right? This is kind of like the dawn of our modern uh, geek culture. And because of that, we are still hearing much of what the 19th century has to offer, including the Dies Irae. This is why we still hear it in movies. So let's hear it. Let's hear this musical word for death, for doom and gloom. Uh, We'll start with some serious stuff and a very literal, literal uh, presentation of the Dies Irae. This is uh, from Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind's score for The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's horror masterpiece from 1980. This is the top of the movie right here. And what do you hear? Just like almost verbatim, The Witch's Sabbath.
These are the opening credits to the movie. Uh, you have this helicopter shot that's going over the water, this little island in the water, and it starts flying towards this highway that runs along a mountain all the way up to the Overlook Hotel. Overlook. Oh, listen to those, those tones there. Overlook Hotel, Overlook, as in uh, overlooking the tragedy and warning of the gruesome murder-suicide that uh, Jack Nicholson's character is warned about that had taken place the decade before. Uh, Overlook is an overlook of the Native American burial ground that the hotel is built on. They say that in the movie. Uh, Overlooking all the Native American art all over the walls of the hotel. Now, you can hear that this score is starting to mix in human voices and uh, a lot of percussion along with these uh, what sound like Moog synthesizers. This is all very, very intentional, right? A Requiem Mass for the Dead. But who's Mass? Ah. Well, if you haven't seen Room 237, which is an unauthorized but award-winning documentary about the genius of The Shining, you've got to check it out. Uh, it's it's one of those docs that just blows your mind. You get sucked in. Like, one moment you're browsing for something to watch on Netflix or Amazon, and the next moment it's, it's 1 a.m. and your jaw's on the floor and you're wondering where this bowl of cereal that you just devoured came from. I mean, it's it's great. I, I don't want to give too much away about The Shining, but uh, that was a great example of the whole DSRA just played in its entirety as a melody um, in, in a somewhat modern movie from 1980. So I'll give you another example of DSRA. Uh, it's a bit more subtle a couple years later, but it's played in, in a just as serious moment. Um, this is... Uh, from uh, from 1982's Poltergeist. This is Jerry Goldsmith's score. Uh, Poltergeist directed by Tobe Hooper and really Steven Spielberg, um, from what we understand. But listen to what the orchestration is doing um, as it presents DSRA here towards the end of the film. Wait for it. And it starts right, right here. D S E. Right. This is used as a melody and a shorthand by Jerry Goldsmith to convey dread, uh, impending doom. They're trying to escape for their lives. Coincidence? That that's in there? Oh, no. We'll come to find that the first four notes, like I just pounded out on the piano, are what is largely quoted throughout many, many films. I'm going to give you a few more. Now, this next one's more of a of a variation on it, but uh, that flavor of DSRA is used a lot, right? This, right? And what I'm going to play for you, actually, is a little bit of Howard Shore's Lord of the Rings score. This one is from uh, Fellowship of the Ring, and it is called, uh, the cue is called The Caverns of Isengard. Take a listen to this. Very interesting. Here it comes in the low brass. Okay, so this is a variation of DSRA, right? If you have... 
That's diacere, and this is just doing right. It is one note away from diacere. Well, you might say that that's a coincidence, except that he kind of does this diacere esque quoting a lot in this movie. Um, you know, this is actually where the ring kind of reveals itself to be what it is to Frodo. And uh, you hear this this constant pulse here. Dun, 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 dun. Right, this is another variation of DSRA as the ring hits the floor, right? So this this is also more of DSRA. And of course, when they are fighting off the ring wraiths right before Frodo gets stabbed on uh, on the mountaintop here, you hear it again. Dun, 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 dun. Right, so this really starts to paint a picture of composers, and by the way, any composer worth their salt knows all about this music history. If I do doing a podcast, I guarantee you that some of the best film score composers in the world know about this stuff. This is not a coincidence, right? Um, so that's a little bit of of DSRA. Of course, that cavern of Isengard or the Uruk High theme, right? <laughs> That's a really interesting one, right? It's a very clever use of DSRA because it's it's rhythmically disguised a bit. First of all, the resolving note, this sort of, it just gets passed by in this sort of uh, quick downward motion as if death is coming, you know, from deep below ground, right? Um, which, of course, we know it is. It's coming from the depths of Isengard, right? Um, so that's kind of a nice rhythmic displacement, but it still gives you the flavor of DSRA. Also, the rhythm is in five, and I know we haven't talked much about rhythm yet, but you can feel this pulse, which is very off-putting. It's this bum, 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 one, two, three, four, five. Or you can say it's it's uh, two and three, right? One, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. And over that, the um, melody crosses bars and gets displaced, which is really weird. You know, and it, and it just changes and shifts and it gives it this like not only the subtle feeling of odd pounding. And by the way, I love that sort of anvil metallic, very Wagner-esque uh, stuff going on, you know, with the percussion to make it feel industrial. Um, but you have this unpredictability, this instability of the force that's coming up from the ground. Um, it's really, really good stuff. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. That's another example of DSRA, and we're not even halfway done. We have to talk about the most influential film score of all time. And yes, it contains DSRA. You may not believe it when you first hear it, but here it is. What? This is the main title to Star Wars. You already talked about this. This is DSRA. No, no. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Wait for it. Wait for it. Did you hear it? Let's try that again. DSRA. Okay, all right, all right. That's got to be a coincidence, you're thinking, right? That's got to be a coincidence. 
you know, uh, what I called the denouement a couple of episodes of this theme. It's not a coincidence. It does contain a reference to death. As in Luke Skywalker and company avoided it in the hero's journey. Actually, they defeated it. They defeated death. Actually, they defeated the Death Star. I know you think I'm making this up. I, I, I'm not. Wait a minute. You're saying no way. Yes, way. Yes, yes, way. I have more evidence for you. Okay. John Williams has quoted the DSRA in multiple films, but in Star Wars, he uses it throughout the film. I'm going to play a cue for you called The Burning Homestead. Okay, and this is where uh, Luke realizes that his, his home has probably been attacked, and he drives back home, and he, he finds uh, his aunt and uncle murdered and his childhood home destroyed. And what you hear, first of all, starting in the low strings, is the DSRA in reverse. That's probably not going to convince you, but it really is clever. There it is. Duh, 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 right? And he goes home. You get this theme, of course. Lance Peter pulls up and he sees them. Tragic. Well, check this out. As it starts building, skipping forward here, he's realizing what he has to do. He's realizing there's no turning back, that he has to go with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Listen to what the horns do in response to this force melody. D S E R A. D S E R A. Still don't believe me? Okay, I'll play you another one. Uh, this is the destruction of Alderaan. Maybe not quite as convincing. But when Grand Moff Tarkin and Vader are trying to get the location of the secret rebel base out of Princess Leia Organa. Um, Alderaan shows up on the screen and they threaten to destroy it unless she gives up the info. And you hear this. All right, well, you're like, well, that's sort of Diasiri. All right, well, I'm going to play another cue for you. It's also from Star Wars, the original A New Hope from 1977. And you know that famous scene where Luke Skywalker is standing out and he's looking at the two twin sons going down and he's longing to go away and you hear that great melody bom, 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 by a solo French horn. Before that was written, the original version that John Williams wrote went like this. Okay, right, there's harp and horn doing it, but just a slight variation of it. But when it really comes in is when the orchestra swells right here. He hits it with he hits you with it again and again and again. Okay, okay. So that's a lot of DSRA in that movie, okay? But it doesn't end there. In 2016, composer Michael Giacchino picked up on this and used it as inspiration for the main theme for his protagonist, Jin Erso, in Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. He quotes the first four notes in full, again, rhythmically displaced a little, a bit for originality, but he quotes... 
Okay. I'm going to play a, a cue for you called Your Father Would Be Proud. Oh, I'd love to talk about this whole movie, but that is for a different day. But take a listen to this. Here it comes. stuff. Okay. So. Where's the diasira you're asking? Well, the entire melody is built on diasira. Here it is. Here it is. Bum, 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 bum. Here it is again. Bum, 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 bum. Right? Okay. Jin Erso, daughter of Galen Erso, the creator of the Death Star, has a melody that contains the musical word for death. This was a brilliant move by Giacchino in order to kind of tie it back together. Well, you might be thinking, really? Does... Is that really in, you know, tied to a new hope or are we just kind of making this up? Well, I'm going to play a little clip for you here. So now listen to this. You will hear the melody of Jyn Erso. You must learn the ways of the Force if you're to come with me to Alderaan. Alderaan? I'm not going to Alderaan. I've got to get home. It's late. I'm in for it as it is. I need your help, Luke. She needs your help. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Here. I can't get involved. I've got work to do. Listen to that again. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. I can't get involved. So what you're witnessing is a creative conversation taking place over decades. This is, well, actually, <clears throat> over centuries. John Williams quoting Thomas of Chelino from the Middle Ages who was quoted, of course, in the 19th century, was now being quoted in Star Wars. And then 40 years later, gets quoted again by Michael Giacchino in a movie that takes place, you know, moments before this movie is supposed to begin. And of course, what John Williams is doing here is he's foreshadowing the death of Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. And what do you hear? You hear his death knell ringing, Right. This is real stuff. I am not making this up. Okay, so we've gotten pretty heavy, and I think that's enough of Star Wars for now. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that's really cool. I think that that's really a, a great um, dramatic use of the DSRA. But I mentioned before that they can actually get kind of campy, right? Um, that they're just kind of like Easter eggs in some movies. So I want to talk about some lighter, campier uses of the DSRA. Uh, that'll be a nice palate cleanser for us. I'm going to start with a movie from 1991 called Home Alone. Also John Williams, of course. Uh, this is uh, all about Kevin's next door neighbor, and he's seen by the kids as this mysterious old man. Um, and uh, as the urban legend unfolds, listen to what John Williams does uh, as Kevin catches sight of him through the window. Let's take a look. This is actually a clip from the movie. Let's take a listen here. Check it out, Old Man Marley. Old Man Marley. The next door neighbor. 
You ever heard of South Bend Shovel Slayer? South Bend Shovel no. Slayer. He's dragging uh, a trash can with a shovel filled with, and, you know, the trash can's filled with salt, and he's basically no salting the walk there. Been hiding that in this neighborhood ever since. See that garbage can full of salt? That's where he keeps his victims. The salt turns the bodies into mummies. Then, listen to what John Waves is doing here. Now, the two look at each other, and what does John Williams do in order to scare him? DSRA, right? He gives you the DSRA in order to scare Kevin, right? This is such a cute use of the DSRA, kind of a comedic, almost like wink at the audience, right? This is a kid's imagination going nuts. I just think that's such a cool little use of it, right? Uh, and there's still more. I've got more. This next one is one of my favorite uses of the DSRA just because it's so fun. This is actually from 1993's movie, A Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm just going to play this for you. You're going to hear DSRA right away and nonstop. This is Making Christmas. The whole melody is built around this it. This time. Around DSRA. Here it comes. Making Christmas. Making Christmas. Making Christmas. It's so fine. So, Danny Elfman, the songwriter and composer, he integrates the melody of the DSRA into his melody for Making Christmas. Um, it's the title melody of the song Making Christmas. You know, as the Halloween ghouls are taking over Christmas, death is taking over Christmas. So as you can see, this Easter egg of a melody has been used by multiple composers over the years as a musical shorthand or word for death, doom and gloom, the creeps. Sometimes it's used ironically, and sometimes it's used very seriously, as we've heard, with great effect. The Soundtrack Show will continue after these messages. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. Before we wrap up, I want to thank you all, by the way, for your tweets, uh, your reviews, and your listener feedback via email. Um, if you want to email me any feedback that you have or suggestions, you can email the soundtrack show at HowStuffWorks.com. It means a lot to me to hear from you. And I want you to know, I read every single one. I can't always respond to them, but I hope to feature some of them on the show. And uh, here's one, actually, that I thought really captured the magic of soundtracks and why we all love them. This, uh, this email that I'm going to read is from Cam. And Cam writes, Hi, Mr. Collins. Uh, I just got finished listening to the first episode of The Soundtrack Show, and I'm really looking forward to the next episodes because soundtracks are pretty important to me and to the way I experience media. I first got hooked when I saw Jurassic Park in the theater when I was eight. I can still remember the way I, I sucked in my breath in surprise and delight when Richard Attenborough says, Welcome to Jurassic Park. And then John Williams' score soars and the camera pans to the dinosaurs. And I realized that what I was feeling, that overwhelming sense of wonder and joy, was a result not only of what I was seeing, but also largely what I was hearing. It would take me eight more years to really get the vocabulary and brain power to appreciate soundtracks properly. 
Which was a good thing because by then I was 16 and the first Lord of the Rings movie had come out and I was able to bask in the magic of Howard Shore's epic score for all three films. Since then, I've really tried to read up about music so I can actually dissect my favorite scores and soundtracks intelligently, but I haven't really been able to absorb a lot of them since some of them get kind of technical pretty fast. Yes, they do. So I'm really glad the podcast's out now because it's nice to listen to someone talk about soundtracks in a way that's accessible to non-musicians like myself. Oh, I'm so glad. Anyway, that was an awesome first episode. I'm really looking forward to hearing how you take apart the soundtracks of more films, maybe Lord of the Rings and hopefully video games too from Cam. Thanks so much for writing. That was an awesome account of the power of music and how it hit you in the theater with Jurassic Park. I know exactly what you mean about the power of that score as well as the Lord of the Rings scores. They're some of my favorites as well. And uh, while it'll take me some time to get to those, I definitely want to get to them. And you'll be happy to know that I'll be chatting a bit about the two towers in our next episode, but I don't want to give too much away. But um, uh, Oh, and by the way, to many who have asked, yep, I will cover the Star Wars movies in detail as well. This episode was all in support of music as a language, which is what we've talked about. And it has a long, rich history, which is why some people find it difficult to talk about. As I mentioned, this really is um, a podcast for everyone uh, because music is experienced and loved by everyone. Like I said, it's a huge part of all of our lives. And admittedly, there's a lot of stuff to cover, but this was a fun show to do with all of these different musical examples. But since you brought up Jurassic Park, here's a little DSRA that John Williams worked into the score. This is a a cue that's called... um, high-wire stunts. And wouldn't you know it? Of course, they're trying to get the power back on. Laura Dern's trying to get the power back on while Samuel and the kids are climbing the electric fence. And there's building tension because death is hanging in the air for multiple reasons. There it is right there. That's DSRA, right in your Jurassic Park score. Would you actually believe that I I left out a bunch of movies when talking to you guys about this? I left out The Lion King. I left out It's a Wonderful Life. I left out Groundhog Day. Uh, I mean, even that features a little DSRA when Bill Murray's character is becoming suicidal. But I have one more that I want to play for you. One that I think is insanely clever on the part of the composer and totally hidden. But it is observable and therefore valid nonetheless, especially considering this theme's subject matter. I want to end with this also because I'm happy to announce that this is the first film that I will be doing an in-depth analysis on in the soundtrack show in just a couple of weeks. And its main theme goes like this. That's right. Jaws. Now, most people think of the theme of for Jaws as just two notes, bottom, right? But actually, that pounding rhythm of the shark's motif is made up of three notes, right? There are the two notes, you know, that kind of go back and forth of this, you know, that's like the swimming action. And then there are these two accented notes, which are below the two main notes, and they go like this, right? These accented notes when combined with the two main notes, give us the DSRA. Let me show you how. So I played this down here. I'm going to actually move it up here so it's a little clearer. 
Now, I'm going to slow it down, and I'm going to accent the DS array hidden in the middle of this rhythmic motif. There it is, right? Here's the accent. Here it is again. Here it is again. Right? Indeed, the shark is a harbinger of doom, a killing machine, and John Williams once again employs the Dies Irae right here in one of the most famous themes ever. We'll be back with more of the Soundtrack Show next week. I'm David W. Collins, and you can find me on Twitter at David W. Collins. And please follow the Soundtrack Show on Twitter at SoundtrackHSW or on Facebook and Instagram at SoundtrackShowHSW. Thank you and happy listening. Thank you.